The American Council of Blind Lions, ACBL, is the affiliate that roars, and that's no lion. ACBL holds monthly conference calls and ACB convention events that help people who are blind or visually impaired become more involved in local Lions Clubs. Find out more. Call 502-897-1472 or email lions.acb at gmail.com. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. It's been a while since we have talked with each other and I am so glad to be back and so glad to see at least a few of you preventing me from getting into too much trouble tonight. Uh, I have uh, Allison Smitherman here, and I'm overjoyed to have her as our kind of hand-raising person this evening. That makes me happy. And for the first hour, we'll have uh, both Rick and Larry. And for the second hour, kind of overseeing our streaming, it looks like we're going to have Larry Gaspin. So welcome to all of you, and thank you guys so much. Without the three of you, Tuesday topics wouldn't be happening. So thank you, thank you, thank you as uh, Dan Spoon would say. Um, no, so, Dan, would, Dan would say hip, hip, hooray. Yes, he would. Yes. And then thank he you. Would. <laughs> he would. But he also says thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, no, thank you, thank you. Well, that sounds more like something Anthony Corona would say. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe so. Um, so we have two topics tonight, and I can't remember what order we're going to do them in, so I'm just going to arbitrarily choose one. I think we're going to do... I think we're going to do uh, employment first. And I'm going to talk for about a minute or a minute and a half. And then we are going to, uh, before I do that, I think, because it would make sense so that can, people can respond while I'm talking, I think I'm going to ask Allison if she would be so kind as to go over methods for hand raising uh, so that those of you who may be new to Tuesday topics will know how you're supposed to do that. Sure, I'll be happy to, Mr. Paul. Okay, so if you're on a PC, if you want to raise your hand, you press Alt-Y. You can mute or unmute. Once I allow you to talk, you can mute or unmute with Alt-A. If you're on a Mac, you raise your hand with Option-Y. Mute or unmute with Command-Shift-A. If you're on the app, you the raised hand but, uh, button will be located in the bottom center of the screen and to mute or unmute the mute unmute button will be located in the lower left hand corner of your screen and if you're on a telephone you raise your hand with star nine mute or unmute with star six and that's it thank you thank you thank you so welcome the the unemployment rate in the United States for folks who are blind remains at 70%, or that's what folks tell us. Uh, 70% is the rate that it's been um, since God was very tiny, at least since before the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act. And really, the truth is that as long as I can remember, even going back to the time when I was working as a rehabilitation counselor in the 1970s, 30% was the rate of unemployment that people quoted um, 
as the rate at which people who are blind were being employed. What that meant was that of folks of working age, seven out of 10 folks who are blind were not working. Normally, we could say that that was an American phenomenon, but just the other day, I was listening to uh, a program um, from the UK called In Touch, and I recommend it. It's on at uh, 3.45 Eastern Time every Tuesday on BBC Radio 4, and it's a program that is specifically done for blind folks um, in the UK uh, by the British Broadcasting Corporation, but they said that the rate there is one in every four, which means we're actually doing better because only 25% of the folks who are blind in the UK are working and 75% of folks are not. We keep talking about the degree to which technology has improved. We keep talking about the degree to which the ADA is supposed to protect us from discrimination. We talk about uh, the fact that uh, folks who are blind are are getting uh, a, a good education and that um, there are all kinds of advantages that exist now, uh, including the ADA, including Section 508, including Section 504, and, and including a number of state laws that are supposed to protect the employment rights of folks who are blind or have low vision. But the reality of the situation is that every year the statistics seem to remain the same. And the question is, why is that the case and what can we do about it? Um, I am not, at least at this point, going to hazard I guess, though by the time this hour is over, I, I hope we'll have discussed a number of things. And at the end of the hour, if there are some things that I think are important that haven't been talked about, we'll put them on our bucket list. But in addition to that, we're probably going to stop about two-thirds of the way through the hour in terms of lining up reasons and see what we think we might be able to do to make things better. Because I've got to believe that it isn't that folks who are blind are incapable or incompetent. And if that's the case, then surely there's something that we, as people who are blind, as well as we as the American Council of the Blind can do to make the unemployment rate of people who are blind or have low vision fall. So that's the issue. Let's begin to discuss it. Miss Allison, do we have any hands raised? Yes, we do, Mr. Paul. Um, first, we have Lynn Corral. Uh, from the West Coast now, Miss Lynn. Hello. Okay, now, Paul, we discussed this a few months ago. I am actually on my dissertation now. I'm on the proposal stage. And, of course, I am doing my dissertation on... Um, a, qual- a general qual- a generic qualitative inquiry exploring experiences of blind female college educated job seekers. That is my topic. Mm-hmm. So this is my topic. And I have been reading, reading, reading literature, uh, peer-reviewed literature, that is. And it's, it's very instructive. And, of course, I'm not at the uh, data collection stage, but I will be when I get my proposal reviewed and approved. 
and I have a great dissertation committee. And, nice. and there is really not nothing about blind women seeking employment, uh, basically. But a lot of the literature seems to say that some of the um, barriers are actually our own. Um, knock that off. Um, um, excuse me, my other computer. Anyway, so what? So what they're saying is that some of the issues. What I uh, did uh, uh, actually read an article about from independent living centers in California about technology use. People said their own views about disability were the impediment for, or or their disability was the impediment to employment. So, you know, and and also stigma is mentioned in almost every article I'm reading. Stigma, self stigma, whatever you want. So I'm finding a lot of literature on the on it. And of course, then I have to make my own analysis of what I find, both what I read in the literature and then what I hope to, to find by doing data collection of the people I want to interview. Excellent. So, so Lynn, you're adding, you're, you're essentially putting three components on the table. And let's break them down for a second. So let's talk about stigma, stigma and self-stigma first. Um, what how, how can you define that a little more for us? Well, I read, well, stigma is basically the ideas that we have about our own, um, you know, capabilities or how society has stigmatized us. And unfortunately, a lot of people around us, like for instance, rehabilitation professionals or um, parents, friends, family, whoever you want, ha- is discourages discouraging us from doing whatever we want, think we want to do, um, and stuff and. and and stuff like that. So that's part of the problem with with, I, with stigma and self stigma. So well, we talk believe, talk talk to us a bit about self stigma. How how does that work? Well, <laughs> after what I read, but um, I'm going to put it to the literature review, which I've worked well, I've learned outline for it. But because that's the first thing she wants me to do with the proposal. But mm-hmm. um, I already got my prospectus um, uh, approved. Um, so nice. that was the outline of it. So I've already got that done. Now it's mm-hmm. the, now it's the guts. And the murky depth of the of the proposal, but um, basically, what self stigma is the way of thinking about ourselves, how we think of ourselves as people who could be employed, or what we think about our own um, mindset. Basically, our mindset, you know, because we have a mindset yeah. about what people have told us. I was told when I was thirteen years old, I was seventh grade or so, and I was told that I'd never get a job. This was nineteen sixty five or sixty six or something. Right. But so so essentially self stigma is is a feeling that that it is alleged that a lot of blind people have that that they are not capable of working and that they're not capable of doing well. Or that employers think that we're not too. You know, that we don't think that, that employers right. will hire us, basically. Yeah. Okay. Technology. Does that make um, sense? It does. It does. I I I think I think it's gonna be interesting to see how other people operate. I mean there, there are some things that are true that may lead to what we're talking about. One of the things is that in in our educational system, most people who are blind don't get an opportunity at vocational right. education. That's right. The That's vast right. majority of people who are blind haven't worked by the time they graduate. Exactly. From high yeah, we don't. We don't go. We don't babysit most of the time. We don't. We don't have you know do soda soda jerking that kind of stuff you know or right. any of that kind right. of stuff. So we don't so, do the things that a lot of yep. a lot of sighted people do. So let's talk about technology because on the oh, yeah. face of oh, it, yeah. it would seem as though 
blind people ought to have more of an advantage yeah, in terms of technology, given, given where we are today. But yeah. you're saying that in some of the reviews that you've done, this is not the case. That's true, because people are not getting the training, and it really depends how much training they will get. And a lot of times, um, as I was listening to the California Council of Blind uh, uh, Employment Seminar last week, mm-hmm. a lot of times rehabilitation won't pay for it. They will look at your finances and see if you can pay for it yourself. They'll see if, you know, so it's kind of order of selection of some of the stuff with rehabilitation. So I'm going to be doing stuff on rehabilitation in my study as well, because a lot of times they're the gatekeepers of what we can do and what we have education for. Super. Miss Lynn, thank you so much for your call. You've added lots. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I, and you said that you wanted me to really t- uh, talk about the study when it's done, so I will do that. Too. Oh, absolutely. I, I, am, I am looking forward to that. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing what your findings are. You bet. Cool. Thanks, Lynn. All right, Miss Allison, who, who do we have next? Next, we have Larry Johnson. Mr. Larry is from Texas. Ah. And is a. How's that? Has, there did that he is. Work? Did that it work? did. It did. You're good, sir. Yeah, I was talking away and nobody was hearing me. That's terrible. <laughs> Paul, welcome back. I'm so glad you're, you're doing better. We are Thank very, you. very pleased that you're back and feeling sorrowful that you had so many difficult months in the past. Thank you, sir. I uh, I want to hazard a guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, eighty percent of jobs openings are not with corporations. They are not with big companies. They're with small business. Yeah, and I I believe that this is one of the reasons why the VR counselors and even blind people themselves have been looking in all the wrong places for opportunities. Uh, I I think that most young people, sighted people, when they get their first job, it's with a small business. Yes, it is. I I think we can say that almost almost as a as a given that probably 80 or 85 percent either that or it's it's in a menial position with a larger business exactly and 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 there's a couple of reasons why it would be important for vr counselors to open up some doors of opportunity with small businesses and and i've been trying really hard to persuade our local folks to focus on this area because I think that a lot of blind people could do a lot of the jobs that are there in small businesses, whether they are locksmiths or car washes or pet yeah. stores or what have you. And the advantage would be, number one, they would get work experience, job experience. Right. Right. And number two, they would also demonstrate to the general public that they are capable of doing jobs. So, One of the things that the state of Florida has done um, yeah. starting this year is to begin to work uh, seriously on apprenticeships because it's it's been our feeling here in Florida that vocational rehabilitation really has not tried to crack the market in terms of apprenticeship for folks with disabilities. And we think that it it may be a huge untapped resources, but it, I, th- I think it gets to the point that you're, you're making. 
You are right on target. And yes, uh, I have challenged our <clears throat> state agency that they need to focus on this and maybe set up a, a program where they uh, are, are basically underwriting the, the cost of uh, a small employer to, sure. take, to take on a, a, a person, whether it's a young person or an older person, but to take them on for 30 days yeah. without cost to them and without a commitment that they have to hire them, but simply to give them that opportunity and have the state pay for that person's uh, salary in some way, shape, or form. And at the end of the day, at the end of those 30 days, a couple of things could happen. A, the young uh, person is maybe now feeling more confident and more capable and more willing to go out and do some job hunting on his own. B, that employer is persuaded that maybe they could use this person. Or C, they have a colleague or a friend in a similar type of small business who they know needs a person and they could recommend them. So that is point number one. That's a good point. The other area that I think has been terribly overlooked is the area of work from home. A lot of uh, instances where blind people, particularly in rural areas where transportation is a real issue, they could really benefit from being prepared for jobs from home. And there are lots of them. Now, granted, there's also lots of scam businesses out there. So... So the VR folks would have to do some real serious research and find out which, uh, which, which companies are valid, what kind of skills are needed, how much training is needed, etc. But, you know, a person who is living in rural Texas would be so much better off being able to have an opportunity to work a job from home yeah. rather than having to travel 25 miles to get there. Those are my think, two recommendations. Right. I think, they're, I think they're both good. I want to ask you a question about something that's entirely different, though. Okay. <clears throat> if, we take, if we take you and we take me, um, we, we are both folks who essentially have, were, were unemployed, vir- were, sorry, were employed virtually all of our lives. Um, and, and really didn't, f- I think you had one, relatively short period where you weren't employed but in in a lot of places you were employed where there's probably a pretty high expectation that blind people wouldn't have been employed such as in mexico where you were for a long time and so the question that i'm coming to you with is why is it that some folks um seem to be successful at at doing a broad range of different jobs um, during their lives, and I and I think I've done the same. Um, while while others can't seem to 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 get their their head in the door. I think Lynn answered that a little earlier. I, I think it has to do with your upbringing and and uh, the opportunities that are given to you and supported by your mother, your father, or. Uh, or a, a mentor of some sort, you know, we get that encouragement from somebody. And so then we venture out and we, we try different opportunities. But, 
But self-esteem is a really big part of it. Yeah. It's, it's a willingness to be knocked down and stand up again. Do you think that being in Mexico uh, made you more successful? No, I don't think so. I think I had that same uh, that that same intention when I was in Chicago, and and I did a lot of entrepreneurial type of things when I was in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, I I did uh, door to door magazine sales, which was absolutely atrocious. <laughs> I hated it. Uh, I worked at the lighthouse. Yeah. Uh, you know, I did. I did some uh, some craft work and sold craft. I sold Christmas cards. You know, so no, I think I, I think I just had that initiative yeah. because that was that was ingrained in me by my mother. For those of you who are wondering, how come I know so much about Larry Johnson? It's because um, <laughs> Larry has written um, several books that are actually on the Bard website. And I would encourage all of you to look up Larry's name on the Bard website. You can find, what, four or five books written by Larry, well, and there are others out like there. Seven or eight now. But, yeah? you know, I, I will also like to share one other piece of information. That is, sure. when I was a, a human resource manager with Southwestern Bell, now AT&T, right. uh, one of my principal responsibilities was to interview new job applicants. And I will tell you that, sadly, not just applicants with disabilities, but sadly, a vast majority of young people who come looking for a job are ill-prepared to even apply. They would come in and, and they would say, okay, you know, here's my application. I said, well, what do you want to apply for? And they would say, anything. And I said, I don't have that job. Exactly. Tell me what you want. So a lot of it has to be targeted and taught to the individual. And that's why I come back to things like working in a pet store, working for a locksmith, learning, learning just simple things that can be useful to you. And it's really fun to learn some of those basic skills. Right. And, and, and you're I think not intimidated right. by the fact that you're working for, you know, uh, Walmart or some other big corporation. You're right. working for for Joe Smith, who happens to be, uh, you know, a barber, who happens to be a locksmith or a pet store owner or whatever, and he's willing to teach you his trade. And I think you're in favor of volunteering as well, are you not, sir? Yes, yeah, certainly. Certainly, absolutely. That's another way to do it. But I think there, there's more, uh, more of a commitment when you're being paid, even if it's a small uh, you know, recompense, because you then have the obligation. You've got to be there on time. You've got to, you know, you've got to do something. You've got to make yourself available. Right. When, when you get your coffee break, it's 10 minutes or 15 <laughs> minutes, and you need, to, you need to focus on that. All of those are really good skills. You need yep. to be pleasant with other coworkers, with the customers. So all of those skills can't really be taught. They have to be experienced. I, I, I couldn't agree more. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you. Excellent. Miss Allison. Yes, sir. 
We have Alice Richard next. From Georgia. Miss Alice, how are you? I think Lynn and Larry both made some good points. First of all, self-stigma, definitely, because think about all those people when they lose their vision, and, and it goes to what the second part of the issue will be, but the first part is people, when they first lose their vision, well, they're thinking, well, I can't, I can't work. What can I do? I can't see. And I think that um, because the lack of training now is harder and harder to get, that makes it more so of a problem. Right. Which, and, the, the, and the reason for the attitude and the way things are done are you have to believe in the product you sell. And unfortunately, a lot of times with those folks in VR who don't have a clue about blindness, they don't know yep. how to sell the product. It's just a fact. And one of the things that's happening now here in Georgia are a lot of our actual independent living centers are now in the business of job placement as well. Sure. And it seems to be working. And, of course, they work with blind people every day. They know what they're capable of. So that's the first thing. Larry's point, very good. I, at one time, was serving on a board with um, the Department of Labor here in Georgia and VR. And I said something to the Department of Labor about our school children who are sighted are at an advantage because in the summer, you find them jobs. You get mm-hmm. them the chance to know what jobs are out there and what they might be capable of. We don't do that for our young blind people. And I was told, well, we don't want them just to have jobs. We want them to have careers. And I said, how can you have a career till you know what your job capabilities are? A job helps you figure out what your interests are, what your talents are. So yeah, that's or, the other part. And you've, of got, it. you've got to learn how to do. Some exactly. of the some of the major activities that are involved in working with those kinds of jobs that that ki- other kids learn that that blind kids for the most part don't exactly and if we don't give them that option and like Larry said voluntary most of the, my jobs that I ever got I started very first as a volunteer mm-hmm. um, to show what I was capable of what I was able to do but. Our young people nowadays, and, and I can't say I blame them because you would think by now because all of us before them have set the path, but, you know, they don't want to volunteer. They want you to pay them. They want to be paid when they start. Yep. And I think that's, you know, that's only fair. And, and until we, but until we change attitudes, and I'm not sure how we go about that. And until we give young people the opportunity that sighted people have when they are still in high school like flipping burgers or what, you know, mopping floors or whatever it would be, then they're not going to get that experience or even working in an office. Mm -hmm. Now, Georgia, up until like 10 or 15 years ago, had a separate agency serving blind folks. And then you guys got all bundled together in a single rehab system. Um, has, has Has that impacted the success of placing blind people, do you think, Alice? Yeah, services are, have gotten worse in Georgia. In fact, they've now also gone to an order of selection. And it's hard to convince these people that blindness is actually considered a top category priority. So it's, yep. it's very hard. And the, and the attitudes are worse. That's what I'm saying. You'd be surprised a lot of these blind people that go in to see a VR counselor, and they just don't know what to do with you. And, and yep. most of the answer is to send us to college. Because that way so, they don't have to worry right away about work. 
So just in case some folks don't know, um, an order of selection is where VR makes a decision that they can't provide services to everybody who qualifies. And so they set up some rules that determines who they're going to exclude from the provision of services. That's essentially what order of selection is. Um, excellent. Miss Alice, thank you so much for your call. Thank you. Miss mm-hmm. Allison. Yes, sir. Our next caller is Tony. Good evening. This is not Tony, but this is DJ from Jacksonville, Florida. Hi, DJ. And how you doing? And thanks for taking my call. Mm-hmm. My concern is not so much an answer, and I don't know how this would be an answer to the question, but I'm looking at the scale, 3070. Of course, that's a great imbalance. And I want to also, first of all, before even getting into this, uh, thank my uh, predecessors uh, for their valuable input um, uh, because all of these are way, all of these factors weigh in on the reasoning why the scales are at 3070, not in our favor. Right. But when I look at those numbers, 3070, and I'm not into analytics, I'm not a numbers cruncher or anything like that there, but when I look at the uh, 3070 scale, I wonder and, 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 and how for years it has been this way. I wonder where is the data being retrieved that, um, that, that, that supports these numbers? Because as you said, you would think as time has evolved and as time has advanced with the technology, uh, I, I could, I would have never dreamed in my wildest dreams that I would ever be using a phone, for example, with no push buttons on it. Yeah. Uh, I would never have, uh, before I was introduced to JAWS, uh, I, I thought that JAWS was a, a shark and I was scared to use it because it might come up and jump up and bite me. <laughs> Instead, it was a, a something that, uh, it, it was, and access with speech that I could actually use and have been using for the last 20 years now, working in the same place that I've been working at. I do agree with uh, uh, our previous caller. I think it was Larry, and mm-hmm. I think it was Ben who said, it all also predicates on your attitude, and you're right, your upbringing, how you were encouraged and what have you, and what you can do. I was told well, you know, when I lost my sight and I first went for rehab training, I was told, well, you know what? You'll never be able to make it on your own. And I'm like, mm, I'm not agreeing with that. So I actually but, applied myself to the point where I was determined to prove you wrong. You know, you tell me I'm the kind of person you tell me that I can't do something. I'm going to prove you wrong and and and. and believe in my heart that I can do it. And I'll keep believing in my heart that I can do it until I'm I'm shown otherwise that I can't. But to me, there's no such thing as can't. But getting back to the numeric uh, situation, mm-hmm. where is the data that uh, supports these numbers? Because you would think, as like I said, you would think from the 70s on up to now, we're talking about in a 50-year span that these numbers are still... 3070 that somehow or other the scales could be balanced so that would be 
my basic concern. And again, I thank you so much for taking my call. You're welcome. So let's don't hang up quite yet because I want to let let's let's let me first try to answer your question and then see if you have any <laughs> response. So sure. I think there are there are a few things that 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 first and we'll talk about the things that can maybe explain why it hasn't gotten any better in a while. But <clears throat> I think you're right to question the data um, because. While we have data from vocational rehabilitation that pretty clearly indicates what the success and what the failures are, um, mm-hmm. it's unclear exactly how we count um, various groups. And I also think that there are three things that that have militated against the success of or the changing in those statistics. One of them is the much larger proportion of folks who are being born with multiple disabilities so that um, over the past 20 or 30 years, the reality is we're actually serving a lot more people in vocational rehabilitation who have more than one disability, which means that it's harder for those guys to sometimes get employed than they might otherwise have been. And the, the third factor that I think has has created some difficulties is that um in in my opinion anyway um and and there are some folks earlier who talked about that a little bit i don't think that blind people are getting the kind of training that they need in terms of being able to adequately and really effectively utilize the technology that they need for work which Mm -hmm. means that um while technology has become significantly more important in terms of placements, um, the reality is that a lot of blind folks are simply not at the moment able to perform in a competitive way. Um, And for the most part, um, the rehab system doesn't really know um, that those folks aren't capable because they've gone through the training that the rehab system has and they've been given a pass on all of that stuff. But in fact, when they actually have to put it into effect at work, they really can't. So those are some of the factors that I think help to explain the, the, the imbalance. Right. And, and I think, too, a lot of it has to do, too, also with uh, education. Not just yep. education on our part as uh uh, visually impaired or legally blind persons, but also we as legally individual, legally in, um, legally impaired, uh, legally blind individuals, you put it that way, um, yeah. can also help the situation by helping to educate our, and I'll use this in quotes, sighted counterparts. Because yep. be, I, and and for those of us who are here that are within the sound of my voice, I think you will probably agree with me that uh, the percentage of 10 times out of nine, which is a crazy percentage on my part, sure. but a lot of sighted people are, are just clueless when it comes to their approach. And this all goes sure. back to again, stigma, the stigmatization yeah. of right. how a blind person is perceived. And so we, as blind persons must be able to get out there and educate. This is part of our advocacy. So that leads into the employment and it also leads into your next topic also. So it does component for us. And 
hopefully as we do this, then we will uh, somehow or other see those numbers rise and tip the scales into a little bit closer than 30, 70, maybe make it like uh, 60, 40. On That'd, be good. That'd be good. That'd be good. I think that that's Again, thank Mr. you so much. Mr. DJ, thank you, sir. Yes, sir. All right. All right. Ms. Allison. Yes, sir. We have, next we have Beth. Hey, Beth. From New Mexico, I think, if it's the same Beth I'm thinking about. No, this is Beth from Virginia Beach. Hello. Hey, Miss oh. Beth. How are you? Hi. Good. I have some musings here to put forth. Please. My mom told me when I was in about the third grade that the world was not made for people with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And in order to succeed at doing something, not necessarily employment, but in order to be able to do something, that I would need to work twice as hard to do the same thing that my sighted counterparts could do. Now, it must be stated here that I've always been totally blind ever since I was about a year old. And I honestly believe that, first of all, I'm not, I'm not uh, at all surprised by the 70-30. I think that as societies, not just the U.S., and, and this, this figure generally speaking, is also true in other countries. I believe that as capitalism has flourished in societies, that means more and more efficiency and more and more speed. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the things which has occurred is that, okay, with a sighted person, if you're teaching them how to run a computer piece of computer software, okay, see that red uh, uh, icon over there? Put the mouse on it and click it. Now, yep. you, you can teach a sighted person, you know, really quickly how to, how, to do a partic- how to run a particular piece of software. <laughs> Most sighted people don't even use a keyboard. Some do. Some, some, some hate ma- the mouse, but not many that I've run into. And it is going to take at least twice as long to teach a blind person, even a blind person who knows what is needed, even a blind person who knows how to self-advocate. For example, don't tell me where, don't tell me it's in the right-hand corner if you're dealing with Windows. Tell me what I should look for. What am I looking for? What does the icon say? Et cetera, Mm -hmm. et cetera. It's going to take a lot longer to teach a blind person we don't have time for that in this fast-paced society. Society is based on efficiency and speed. Fair enough. And that's one of the problems that, that I'm seeing. I think what everyone else has said also yep. bears witness, but I honestly believe that this is a biggie. So is there a way to fix that, Beth? If societies would stop idolizing time and efficiency as much as we do. Mm -hmm. That's the only way that I see that 
that it could be turned around. Because a lot of times, and even, even in other categories of life, not just work, we don't think anymore. We go from one thing to another, bam, bam, bam. And we don't think, we don't consider uh what what is blindness and and the the, the knee jerk reaction of side people? Oh, blindness is horrible. We don't want to think about it. We don't want to we we don't want to take into account things that would help the situation. We don't want to take into account ways in which we could teach people. And I think until and unless our attitudes change, I hate to say it, but I think we're going to keep going down the rabbit hole. One of the one of the the questions that I guess. Uh, I, I would at least pose to you is would it be a good idea for the rehabilitation system, either nationally or at state level um, to find some jobs that they thought blind people could do well and then develop specialized training for those particular jobs. So that by the time that a, that a, that a kid who was blind or a person who was blind started the job, um, they would actually have been trained in the software? I think that has actually been done in pockets throughout the country. In my particular case, I did uh, Hadley's medical transcription course. Right, right. And I went right from that to working in the transcription field. I'm retired now, but I mean, I I went right to working in the transcription field. And... And, and that, that was that, that was helped. a good position for you, right? But, but because yes. I, but I don't think this is an interesting question. Maybe you can help me. I've heard from some people who used to do medical transcription that the new software that's now being used is is actually much less friendly to folks who are blind. Is that the case? Bingo, bingo. That's that's one of the reasons why I retired earlier than I was going to. In fact, it is the reason. It mm-hmm. was just going to be too too much. It, it just would not have worked. It yep. would not have worked. I'm talking about when I first went in in the 80s, it was fine. We used WordPerfect 5.0. We used yep. DOS. Yep. And that's the other thing that, that, that I'm glad you said that, Paul. Technology. Mm-hmm. It's great, but it's also a barrier. And it's not just the blind who see it as a barrier either. There are sighted people who don't know if they have an Android phone or an iPhone. We do not have, we do not have a good uh, program or I, I don't know how you would say it, but a good outlook, I guess, on training everybody in technology. And if you stray away from learning, you know, like the example I was giving you, learning one particular piece of software, mm-hmm. if you stray away from that, a lot of people are just lost. Right. And, and, and unfortunately, I think we, we, we teach technology by road as well, um, so that um, as soon as the software changes, blind folks don't know what to do because they haven't been taught to solve problems. They've just been taught how, what the keystrokes they need to use now are. Yes, that's true. And sighted people are also lost because now we have to be retrained because Oh my gosh, the program's changed or we're getting a new program and we have to take days for, for training us. Excellent. Miss, Miss Beth, thank I, you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Yep. Miss Allison. Yes, sir. Mr. Paul, now we have Pam Coffee up next. Hey, Miss Pam. 
Hello. I'm Hi glad there. it worked. I'm glad it worked tonight. It did. <laughs> first uh, time. <laughs> yeah, it worked the first try. Um, oh my goodness. Everyone has just made such good points. Um, I don't have much to add to it, but uh, when you were talking about the about technology, um, sometimes it's a situation where, and this could happen to a sighted person as well. It could happen to anyone, but um, visually impaired people really seem to be. Um, Oh, uh, I, don't, I can't come up with the right word. Victim, victims of this. Uh, you take a computer course. I, I, I'm thinking of one person in particular. She took a computer course and, you know, thought she had real good training. Well, what she didn't realize was it was just the bare essentials. It was just mm -hmm. very basic. And I don't even know for sure where she took the course. And it's not, a, mm -hmm. that, not what matters. But um, what's happening is people think they know technology just because they took such and such computer course. But it might just be the... Uh, well, in college, it would be the 101. And in order to graduate, you've got 200 level, 300 level, 400 level. It's enough to yep. make your head spin, you know. It, it is. But, but um, you know, that's, that's one of the really, really big um, issues. And I think a lot of it really depends on where you live where in the country you live uh, where I live in a certain area of the country they worship the automobile pedestrians uh -uh. I mean you know you you it's hard to find safe places and I'll be back I'm sure when we do the white cane safety I get into so. even more of that uh, right but it's um, and not only that, but where I live, I I once took. Well, I was kind of pressured into it, taking the uh, medical records transcribing training, and huh? it, it this was in the 1970s, mm -hmm. and what I had no way of knowing when I. Started it because it was not what I had planned to go into to to study. Uh, what I didn't know was the program at this particular facility was so far behind the times that when you graduated, and even if you got a job, they would send you to a hospital or a clinic or a whatever. I you got there, and well. They were using equipment that was way ahead of what you had taken your training on. Right. And you had no clue how to use this newfangled equipment. And then the, the, uh, your supervisor would say, well, where in the world did you get your training? You don't know anything. You don't even know how to use the equipment that's actually used on the job. So uh, those are among our really big 
problems. And I know in some parts of the country, it's it's probably better than in others. Um, and I'm not going to go into the why, the wherefore, because right. I don't always know. But mm-hmm. I think I think that's part of the problem right there. And people who live in rural areas, God bless you. Uh, yep. It, it's hard to get anything if you if you live in small town, right. little village, USA, and you want a job. Good luck. Yeah, Miss Pam, Unless I you think you can get one at the general store or the whatever. Right. Answering the phone at the general store because they don't even have a computer, you know. Right. Uh, don't have I think, internet. I think you made a really good point with regard to transportation. And one of the things that that suggests is that um, blind people almost have to move to more urban areas if they're going to be successful at employment, even if even if all of their family support uh, and, and, and all of their, their friendship support comes from small communities. They just can't get yes. the transportation there in order to work. And you move to that larger city, where are you going to find a place to live that you can afford because you have no money? Yep, yep, And, and Good the point. cost of living is, is often much higher in the major cities. It's, it's just I think a that's big, true. frustrating uh, issue. It is. Miss Pam, thank you so much for your call. Thank you so much. Miss mm-hmm. Allison. Yes, sir. Mr. Paul, next we have... Le- uh, Terry Pacheco. It's Terry. Hello there. Hello Am there. I? You are. It is. It is wonderful to see you back. Well, thank you. Good to be back. I bet it is. <laughs> um, a few different things that have crossed my mind with so many great, so much great input tonight from so many people, and one of them is, you know, we talked to seventy percent. And I don't know that anybody truly believes it completely. I do. Well, I mean, I do and I don't. Yes, yeah. but technically it is. But that number includes an awful lot of people who, yes, are of working age, but have lost sure. vision much but- later in life that are less likely at that point to be looking for. You know, it's like I think it was Lynn said, you know, that's an extra layer that they need to get through of the, I can't do my job anymore. Sure. But, but, you know, I think one of the things that we need to put on the table is that the statistics say that folks who lose their vision later in life, that is not, not folks who are born blind or, or who grow up being blind um, are much more likely to get a job and keep it than, than folks who are born blind. That's interesting because I'm going to tell you something that I did some very extremely preliminary um, numbers recently. I took a group of people. Um, actually, it was a high school graduation class. It was Frank's graduation class. Who are now basically, they're all retired now. Yes. That class and looked at of 14 people in that class. Mm-hmm. Three did not have permanent, were not permanently right. employed throughout their lives. Right. And, and that and means that you've got, yeah. and, and of those three, two of them had chosen, which made sense back in those days, had chosen to get married and raise a family. 
So uh, that, you know, that raises an interesting question, uh, you know, because the assumption is that things are much better today because of technology and blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. in fact, is that the case? Or, 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 or <laughs> in fact, were we more likely to be successful as blind people 20, 30, 40 years ago? I think we were more likely because of a number of issues, but I think the primary one is that there was much more um, of the attitude of you do what you have to do to, to, to maintain your own dignity. Well, you know, you know, I've known people who, yeah. yes, they were willing to work in the workshop, but right. at least by doing that, they could, they could support their families. Right. And maybe and- with some, assistance but it was better than living on ssi right and there wasn't and and there wasn't ssi 40 years ago sure there was i i i happen to know that (laughs) only because in the 1970s i worked for the massachusetts welfare department yeah and manually transferred everyone over onto ssi yeah i guess i was thinking about uh, Go back but, 60 but it, years. But, yeah but it came around set what 72 73 was when ssi came along yeah right right yeah so but before that before that there wasn't any expectation that blind people had that there was going to be this 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 extra stipend that they were going to get you know, actually, one of the questions is, does, does SSI and SSDI actually act as a barrier to employment now? Absolutely. And actually, yeah. back then, it, I think it depended on the state. In Massachusetts, yes. where I lived at that time, we did. We had aid to the blind that you right. that that actually people were making more money on that than they did end up with on SSI. And, and Missouri um, had and has that, too. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I think it really depended on the state. But yes, I do think that it, that as a, particularly SSI, not so mm-hmm. much SSDI, SSDI right. to some degree, um, has absolutely uh, created a barrier. Yeah, and um, had a negative impact. Yeah, and, and 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 that's that's well, I think both do for for different reasons. Um, but the fact is that. There, there are some countries um, in 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 the world where they've taken a different attitude towards people who are blind, and they've essentially said, um, whether you're working or not, we're going to give you X amount simply because you're blind, because it costs more to live as a blind person than it does as as a sighted person. We used to it, have something minor, a, a bit of that in this country, and we gave it away. Correct. With You're the, talking about with, the, the the tax. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There there used to be a deduction that blind people could make just in case there are, there are folks who are young and and and, and <laughs> or, or who didn't pay a lot of taxes. There's a there's a special uh, deduction that was only available to folks who were blind, um, which essentially now has gone the the way of all dinosaurs. Well, there is still some, but it's nowhere near as it's, it's, no, it's, it's nowhere it's, near as beneficial as it was back then. It's really nothing. Yeah, it's very. It's yeah. a much more minor thing today. Yep. Um, you forget the other thing that I think we need to we need to look at. You know, I think Larry made a very good point with the um, working from home. The thing you have to remember about working from home that we've experienced in the past is. Um, 
companies that tend to do that tend to use proprietary software. Right. And then they get into the technology problem again. And I think the other issue that we need to look at, too, is what kind of jobs are people, and this kind of goes back to my first point, what kind of jobs are people looking for? We, I remember sitting through a blind woman who, um, from this area, who was uh, giving us an entire lecture on her dissertation mm-hmm. when she did her doctorate. And her, one of the very first things she said is, we don't want to be looking for jobs for people in like call centers and that, that we need to be looking much higher than that. We need to raise the bar. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate because, of, because we are not all brilliant people we are not all paul edwards's of the world oh, come um, on. <laughs> <laughs> the point being that you know for some people a job working in a grocery store is what their would be their best position and you know and i think we need to be very careful of that and whatever this lady good- with her phd said the truth is that that jobs and call centers are are becoming um, some of the most widely available jobs for blind people nowadays. That's true. The other thing that's nice about them, I know Frank always Frank always used to say it was, um, and he worked for IRS for how many mm-hmm. years? Thirty. Um, mm-hmm. It levels the playing field. Nobody, you don't have to deal with that presuppositions, right. any presuppositions of your blindness. And he was, now, you know, I mean, he was excellent in tax law. It had nothing to do with his blindness. Um, that kind of thing that, that we, we need to, we need to be open. And the thing that right. we also need to do is we need to stop looking at, well, I can't get a job because I live 25 miles from someplace. Four times in my life, I have moved for a job. You sure. to, And I'm not trying to be self-righteous about that but you know what if if you were a sighted person and got to work every day late because your paratransit was late or you i'm sorry if you were a sighted person got to work every day late because your car broke down you wouldn't be able to keep you wouldn't be keeping that job either and people need to take on a lot more responsibility with a job a job not only carries rights but it carries responsibilities. Another and- factor that may explain why things are, are, are not going as well as they are now are the disappearance of what were two mainstays of jobs in the blindness field. And that is the, the one Frank had, which was with the IRS and also jobs with Social Security, where there were nationwide programs that actually went out and recruited um, folks who are blind or visually impaired to work in those areas. But the truth is that I don't think either of those entities is doing very much to encourage blind folks to work there anymore. I don't think they are. and I, But I don't think the positions exist, at least with IRS. I don't think the positions that those were in those days. Interesting. And, and those positions, what was interesting about it is while they were recruiting they were also those were very very integrated jobs with this with the with their sighted counterparts sighted counterparts and i don't think the boston office of the 80 something employees in the in taxpayer service in the boston office i don't think it ever had more than 5 
people who are visually impaired. Yeah, it's a lot, though. Yeah, it, it is a lot. But I'm saying it wasn't like it was that like they were looking to make one whole department all blind. Yeah, but so, so many of the folks who worked as, uh, as with, with IRS or with or with SSA um, maintained those jobs for an awfully long time and, and, and really built their lives around those positions, which, which I don't think we're finding as often now um, with blind people. Uh, so many blind people appear to get a job and, and keep it for a year or two and then end up leaving that job and, and maybe they'll get another, maybe they won't. Um, That's true. And, but how many people in uh, non-blind people are doing You may be thing? correct. I, I don't, I don't I'm not sure know that anybody works. That. I'm not sure right. anybody has a career in one right. position for life yep. anymore. Anymore. You may be right. Miss Terry, thank you so much. We'll, Take care. We'll look forward to hearing from you in the next hour. So I think that'll be I'm fun. not even sure. Okay. <laughs> I'll have to pay attention. <laughs> Very good. Take care. All right. Yep. Miss Allison. Yes, sir. We have uh, Deanna Noriega next. Nice. <laughs> From Missouri. That's right. Okay. Deanna's my Thank pal. Him. I think I'm unmuted. Um, you are. Okay. Um. I worked at something from the time I was 14 until I was 68. Right. And a lot of times it was not paid, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think you have to be out there and be visible and show competence if you want to get a job. And you have to build a resume, even if it is based on unpaid jobs. Yep. And you have to build your skill set as you go and it's tough because yes sometimes you have to relocate i've relocated a lot over my lifespan um you have to think outside the box i think one of the things that pam was getting at was rehab counselors tended to slot you into things right now i think physical therapy is one Mm -hmm. um you know, <laughs> there were certain jobs that were considered blind jobs. You know, uh, x-ray technician, medical uh-huh. transcriber. Um, these jobs that some blind people had been successful at. So everybody should work at those jobs. And it's good to have a skill set in your box. Sure, get the training. Get, give it a try. You know. Court reporting, whatever it is, skills are important, but you can get those skills by doing, and you can get them by doing them for people that are just glad to have a warm body that shows up and works hard. And then when you need to have references and letters of recommendation, you've got them in your pocket. And The reason I retired at 68 was my husband's health was declining. We were living in a two-story house. He was now unable to make it from one floor to the other. Um, It looked like he was going to be in a wheelchair the rest of his life in a two-story farmhouse with narrow doorways that he couldn't get his wheelchair through or his walker. Mm -hmm. Just wasn't working. So I took the rest of my retirement funds bought a house in a um, primarily rental area. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a repo from the bank, so it was affordable. Mm-hmm. And my daughter panicked when she dropped me off to, 
to clean cupboards and put shelf paper on and ran some errands. She said, Mom, there's not a white face on the block. And I said, baby girl, did you ever notice that I'm not white either and neither are you? (laughs) You Being Native American, we can sometimes Uh pass for Hispanic or Italian Mm -hmm. or something Mm -hmm. else. But, you know, white people know we're not white. (laughs) Yes, they do. (laughs) So, um, you know, I said, I'm not scared of these people. I've worked with these people all of my life when I was Mm -hmm. a caseworker, when I was an independent living specialist, because that's where disabled people live in poor neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. Yep. And one of the reasons I like working German Shepherds is because they give you social distance. (laughs) They do. (laughs) So I have a question for you, Deanna. If, Mm -hmm. If you had a choice to make, uh, and 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 we're we're young today. Mm-hmm. Would 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 you prefer to be going out looking for a job now or when you did? I think I grew up with the expectation that I would work. Right. But I also grew up with the expectation that I would go to college because my mother right. said to me as a young child, "Girl, child, you've got to be good in school. I don't want to see B's and C's." You know, mm-hmm. because you can't wait tables and you can't pump gas. Yeah. So, you know, your brothers and sister can, can always find some kind of work mm-hmm. to pay a bill. You're going to have to have something that will convince someone to hire you besides the fact that you're cute. <laughs> I think that's a message that a lot of us got when we were growing up in those days. I know it's the one yeah. I got. And um, I think that that's a message blind kids are not getting right now. Right. The way they're being educated in public schools with an aide walking around with them everywhere yep. isn't teaching them to fight their own battles, isn't teaching them to stand up to life, even right. when it kicks you in the teeth. Right. It isn't teaching yep. them that you put your head down and you push and you push and if you can't go through the barrier you go around it if you can't do Mm -hmm. that you climb over it if you can't do that you dig under it you keep going in the direction you want to go and you take whatever you can as a way to help you get there in the way of you know paying the, the buying food and groceries and paying for your classes whatever it is um you don't give up your dreams they may take you longer to achieve you may Mm -hmm. have to go there by the way of timbuktu to get where you want to go but if you have a plan and you start putting those building blocks in place you can get there it's tough and it's humiliating and it's frustrating and one of the reasons you know i walked away was because my husband needed 24-7 caregiving, but it was also because where I worked, um, they moved all of our, um, all of the programs we used, um, the database, everything, into the mm-hmm. cloud, and they never right. checked ahead of time what that was going to do to my technology. Right. So I'd show up for work, and I'd spend a half an hour to, to an hour and a half on tech support getting them to untangle my technology because their cloud server decided to eat part of JAWS. Yep. <laughs> or the car- Duxbury. The, the, or- <laughs> the, the, the scary thing is that, that that happened with with public service jobs at the city or the state or the federal level where where it's supposed to be illegal to do that, but it isn't. 
and it and it happens all the time. Oh, no. And then I also was in a position where I work in a state. I didn't come to Missouri because of the blind pension. I came because my daughter needed my help, and yep. I immediately went out and got a job so I could help her. But, you know, the reason uh, that, you know, I found the state difficult to, to work in was I worked for an agency where three employees decided they were afraid of my guide dog, who was a big black German shepherd. Oh, dear. And at yep. the time, I was doing legislative work. I was going to Washington, D.C. sometimes mm-hmm. two to three times a year. I was going to the state capitol all during the legislative session. I was coordinating um, a network to tell people what was going on and by email and asking their assistance. You know, I was doing a lot of stuff having to do with rousing the people and letting their voices be heard. And my director said, well, I have three other people in the agency that say your guide dog is costing a ho- causing a hostile work environment because they're afraid of them. And the only thing he did was he was an alert barker. He gave one big bark if anyone came to my doorway or if someone called my name as I was walking somewhere. He had to tell me, hey, somebody wants you. Yep. He never ever growled, snapped, or did anything aggressive. And when I did at age, he was four, and he was wonderful in <clears throat> rallies and town halls where we had angry, uh, joking, angry teabaggers yelling mm-hmm. at our Democratic senator mm-hmm. and trying to drown her out. Really scary, you know, environments. And it was part of my job to be there. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful to have a dog that was intimidating just by looking straight ahead and walking that the people parted like the Red Sea and I could get out of there because they all thought he was a police dog. Miss Deanna, thank you so much for your call, my dear. Yeah. So that's what I say is it's tough and it's not any easier today than it was when we grew up. Just different. I I, I think it may be harder. Um, but, but, but for, for reasons that we ought to be able to change if we work at it. Yeah, that's, well, we're going to need all hands on deck because we're facing some really difficult times in the world. I think so. Miss Deanna, you're the best. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Miss Allison, anybody else? Yes, we have two more raised hand and it's about, uh, 11 minutes after the hour. So it is. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, next, we have uh, Carrie. Carrie. Hi, this is Carrie, and uh, this is the first time I've ever been on this call, and I do appreciate this topic. Hi, Carrie. So, um, I'm only going to speak to somebody who lost their vision, I'll say, 15 months ago. Ooh. And um, I was in a great job for 28 years in military aerospace and defense world. And I loved my job and it was fabulous. But when I lost my eyesight, you know, we had to, you know, obviously um, make some changes and, you know, and treat the, the disease before we could treat the blindness kind of thing first. Sure. Okay. So now I'm in a rehabilitation, vocational rehabilitation, and I go to classes and I listen to all these 
you know, how to work JAWS, how to you mm-hmm. know, do your iPhone. And these are all fabulous classes. I am not going to ever, you know, belittle those at all. But what I will tell you, it's, it's very discouraging, though, is that when you're in these classes and these teachers are like, hey, we have great opportunities. You can work at a warehouse for $16.50. And I'm like, okay, I was at a job for 28 years making some really fabulous money, and I could never even make my house payment with just that money. Could you you have, do you think you could do the job you were doing as a blind person, Carrie? Well, actually, I'll get to that here real quick. Okay, good. When you listen to these teachers, you know, who are encouraging students to go and look and look at these jobs and it just breaks my heart. Now, fortunately, I work for a really great electronics company and they came to me just actually last week and they said, we can't do any more without you. We have to have you back. Nice. You know, you know we want you back. We're going to do everything we can for accessibility. You know, you'll be the first blind person. We are a Fortune 500 company. You'll be the first blind person we've ever had in our organization. You know, we want you to be an advocate. You know, I mean, they're very supportive. And I'm very fortunate. And I, and I count my blessings right now every day since that phone call. How cool is that? It is. But I, but I really, my heart just aches for those other people in those classes where, you know, you, you, I'm, I'm just like, there is just no way I could make a house payment, insurance standard bills on yeah. on a on a job at that pay and i think that's where some of the discouragement really comes from now uh, are, are you mostly concerned about the uh, about the money or the demeaning nature of the job carrie for me honestly for me my, me personally it was about the money because i knew if i didn't make the money i used to i would ask, i would probably lose everything i have mm-hmm. okay yeah. Yep, that's fair. You know, and I will then, you know, and I'll also back it up by saying when I was in my 20s, part of the requisite of working for this company was that you had to work in the warehouse. You had to work in a warehouse for, for, you know, 30 to 60 days. You had to learn it from bottom up. Nobody just went straight into product. You know, you had to be able to walk the walk and talk the talk. Which which of which makes perfect sense to me, and 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 in an ideal world, that's what all of us ought to be able to do. Because if we're going to get to the top of a business, we ought to be able to understand what the bottom looks like. Right, but mm-hmm. you know, I mean, some of these classes that I'm taking, you know, there are other people my age, and you know, and they probably made great money too, and now they're being, I don't want to say encouraged, but they're just kind of like. Look at this great job that just popped up for this warehouse. And you're just kind of like, man, how, how do you get everybody, the teachers and the students all on the same page to, to rise above and say, I can do what I used to do. The only difference is, is sight. That's the only difference. Yeah. So you think, I, I, I guess what I'm hearing you say is, is uh, folks like you and folks who have had good jobs before they lost their vision really have a lot more capability than they're being given credit for by the rehab system. Exactly. Miss mm-hmm. Carey, thank you so much for your call and stick around for the, for the second topic, which is coming up after our, after our last um, call on uh, unemployment, we're going to be talking about white cane laws and whether they're worth anything or not. So Absolutely. stay tuned. Thanks Carrie. Mm-hmm. You're, you're, and, and, 
call into the show again. We were glad to have you. Thank you. Thank you. Miss Allison, our last person. Yes, we have Larry Johnson. Oh, Larry's back. Mm-hmm. Mr. Larry. You can summarize, Larry, what we've learned in the last hour and a quarter. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Larry, you can unmute. I think um, one of the things that we promised we'd do, and I will do it after Larry makes his points pretty quickly, is we will we will talk a little about uh, some of the things that that perhaps we can do um, to make things better because I think there were some really interesting ideas that that we can do some more about. Mr. Larry, are you there? Going once. He's still still going muted. twice. All right. So let let me summarize just a bit, and then we're going to go on to the second section, which I'll introduce. So I think one of the things that we've learned is, there he is. There we go. Okay. Uh, Jobs was playing games with me. Uh, I just wanted to return for just a second to the idea of apprenticeships, Paul. Yeah, sure. And I think uh, that... There is a responsibility and an opportunity for blind folks to be apprentices uh, for other blind folks. I, I think that oftentimes when we secure a good job as a blind person, we kind of isolate ourselves and protect ourselves from other blind people. And I, I think maybe that's a kind of a, a necessary thing to do. Hmm. But, but I really believe that. Um, why do we? Why do we do it, Larry? I, I think out of fear. Yeah. I, I think I think we're afraid that that person who we may bring in might create a negative image that will yep. reflect back on us. I think but, that's exactly the reason. But I, but I think it's extremely important for us to be helpers of others. Now, I know that the American Foundation for the Blind long time ago had, and may, there still may be, a kind of a mentorship program that they did right. via the website. Right. But, but what I would really like to see it happen would be... That, that program, just, just so that everybody else knows, it has been transferred to the American Printing House for the Blind. It's called Career Connect. And it's my understanding that they have just hired someone um, who is, in fact, an ACB member from California um, to uh, actually take much more control of Career Connect um, than before. So we may see it come back and we, and we may see mentoring um, come back to the forefront um, in terms of this American Printing House for the Blind program. But I'm sorry, Larry, go ahead. Well, we need to go beyond that. You know, th- there are in many, many instances, uh, particularly with students, what are called shadow, shadowing programs. Not shadowing, yep. Yeah, where, where a young person gets to kind of follow along with somebody who is in that position and see what's all involved. That mm-hmm. would be so meaningful. I think, for a, a person. Because one thing is to kind of just tell them over the phone or by an email, well, this is what I do in a normal day. But if they actually get to be there and be part of it, now, the best of all worlds would be to try to link them up with an, another blind person. But even if not that, I think I, that the blindness rehabilitation program 
ought to invest in shadowing programs of blind people with sighted persons. I think the on, you know, on-site experience is tremendously important and, and meaningful. They get to, you know, they get to actually live it and they can ask relevant questions. And you know, we said, su- and hopefully- we suggested at the beginning of this call that, that one of the reasons why blind people don't want to do it is because they're afraid that the, that the new person might not be very good, but it, it could actually be exactly the opposite that they're afraid the person will be so much better than they are. <laughs> that may be true. But the, I, I see a possibility here of developing a, a really strong bond relationship and of being helpers. Mm-hmm. I can tell you that I had a, a friend years ago who uh, was working at a very good job with rehab, uh, with, an, with the Rehabilitation Service Administration. And, and I was job hunting. And she did all that she possibly could do to get me interviews and meet people. And I was so grateful to her. None of them turned out, but I was so grateful to her to have that kind of experience. And I think it, it behooves us and all blind people who are lucky enough to be employed. Don't forget about the 70% who are not. Good point. Thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. So I think one of the things that we've discovered over the last uh, hour and 20 minutes now um, is, is that there are a lot of things now that make employment more difficult. There are also a lot of things now that create more potential for employment. And there are, I think, a lot of things that it's been demonstrated that we can do uh, we haven't talked about it much, but I don't think it's accurate to say that discrimination doesn't still exist against folks who are blind or visually impaired. I think it does. I think that um, there there is still a need for organizations like the American Council of the Blind to stand up and be counted uh, for the 70% of folks who are blind who are not getting jobs by saying to them, um, we we will help you um, to fight discrimination cases if we can. I don't think it is accurate to say that uh, the EEOC and other entities at the federal level that are supposed to be standing up for folks with disabilities in terms of uh, discrimination are doing the kind of job that they ought to. And I think that's one of the areas that 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 ACB perhaps could look at becoming. Um, bigger advocates. Uh, I also, I also think that another thing we really haven't talked about very much is the degree to which the seventy thirty rate is uh, created for the most part uh, by a substantial proportion of um, pure white, pure Anglo individuals who are blind who are employed. For folks who are Hispanics and for folks who are black, the truth is that the unemployment rate is even higher and the job retention rate is even higher and the rate of promotion is significantly lower. And by the way, the other thing we can say is perhaps one of the reasons why blind people don't stay in jobs is because it would appear that what companies do 
and even state agencies is to find one job that a blind person can do and then discourage the heck out of that person from looking for any other job even within the system because of the fact that they figured out how to handle the blind person now. So don't rock the boat. Stay where you are. Don't look for a job that will put you in a position of actually being a manager because it's an entirely different set of skills that we don't know that you have and that we're not sure we want to give you the opportunity to demonstrate. So um, those are some of the things that I think we can take away from this discussion. And now, believe it or not, we're going to spend at least a little time um, looking at our second question. One of the things that... uh, the American government has done over the past few years is they've gone away from talking about white cane safety day. And they talk about, I don't know, blind equality month or blind employment month. And there are, there are various different names that have been used by different administrations um, to describe what they promote um, in, in July, sorry, in October every year. One of the things that is true though is that there are a lot of organizations for the blind and a lot of organizations of the blind as well uh, who celebrate white cane safety day by going out into the community uh, and doing walks that call attention uh, to issues that surround folks who are blind does the does the white cane law do us a lot of good. That is, are, are we seeing situations where with the white cane law, the number of accidents that are involving folks who are blind uh, and, uh, and motor vehicles are declining on a nationwide basis? I'm not sure. I've seen statistics that demonstrate that. Uh, are we are we seeing a situation where a larger proportion of the members of the general public are aware of what the laws are in various states with regard to the white cane? Um, if if we're not seeing a lot of change in that, um, should we be? Um, when accidents occur that we know about, um, are are we seeing uh, a situation where folks who are at fault and that often as drivers are actually being significantly punished for um, being involved in an accident which uh, injures or kills folks who are blind or have low vision? Or is it often the case that folks who are blind are regarded as being responsible? They can't help it. They're blind and, and therefore it's not okay to cast blame on drivers uh, even though there's some pretty clear evidence that it might be their fault. So those are some of the issues that I think operate uh, around white cane safety and white cane safety day celebrations. So my, I guess the question that I'm asking is, is white cane safety day outmoded? Are we to a point where we would be better off focusing on something else, perhaps like employment, um, perhaps something else you guys maybe want to suggest something else rather than on white cane safety day where it may be that we as a population of people who are blind don't gain as much as we thought we perhaps would uh with white cane safety day and as we have in the past i think uh i think in the past certainly um 
spreading the word about white canes and spreading the word about uh, the rules with regard to the way that pedestrians who are blind or have low vision ought to be treated was certainly valuable. The truth is that white cane safety laws were in fact passed by and primarily with the assistance of Lions Clubs rather than uh, with the assistance and and work of blind consumer organizations. Um, so the question is, where do we stand with uh, white cane safety? How do we feel about it? And um, I think I shall ask Miss Allison if we have any hands. As a matter of fact, Mr. Paul, we do have a couple of hands. Uh, mm-hmm. And first, we have Callie. Callie. Callie, you can unmute. I hope you can. I hope so, too. <laughs> <laughs> Now, Miss Allison, there is a rule on this show, and that is if uh, if if the hand raiser wants to get involved in the discussion, you always get a free shot at doing that. So, okay, well, and, I appreciate and, and that. Larry, Hi, already are you knows able to hear me now? He can. We are. Hi, Callie. Okay, I don't know why Command Shift A is not working, so I'm just holding down the space bar. I'm very sorry about that. Um, I live in South Florida, and I truly believe the white cane safety law is useless down here. Uh Um, I just think that, you know, if a pedestrian is hit by a vehicle, that that law will apply to, you know, a, a blind pedestrian is a pedestrian, be they blind or not. And I just don't think the law is useful at all. Um, I participated in my local Miami lighthouse, um, white uh, national white cane safety walk and drivers were just like really pissed you know that we were holding up traffic (laughs) you know to get across the street you know so and this is like a group of us so you know one pedestrian is not going to stand a chance on these streets in miami right and and also here in south florida you know i listen to the news um i used to work in television news i don't any longer since i lost my vision last year but Mm -hmm at least every week you'd hear of a pedestrian getting hit and killed by a car and people I, don't even stop anymore. They it's a hit and run because people just like take yep. off. So I really don't think a white King user is going to bear any better than a sighted um, pedestrian here. And also in South Florida, cause like it's very rare that you see pedestrians because South Florida is just one of those car cities. Sure. You know? Like, even like when I was driving, you know, in my 57 years before I like I lost my vision, number one, I never saw a white cane pedestrian, a pedestrian, you know, using the white cane. I never even met anyone who was blind who used the white cane. Now, Kelly, did you know about the law when you were a driver? I did not. But like I said, I would presume, you know, I would stop for a pedestrian period, you know, whether or not they have a cane or, you know, or not. I just think that's the law that you stop for pedestrians, which people have a hard time, you know, doing down here, especially when when you're at an intersection where they have the, um, where the cars can turn right on red. Oh, that's that's atrocious, isn't it? It is. And I, I remember when I was when I was driving, I would sit there and I would see the sign that says, you know, no, you know, you can turn right on red, except when there are pedestrians in the crosswalk. And I'm like, uh-huh. you actually have to write that. 
you know, you actually have to post that, that, you know, you shouldn't do it if there are pedestrians in the side, on, in the crosswalk. You know, it was just amazing to me. But yeah, I just don't think the White King National Safety Day is something that is, should be a major focus and that we can focus attention in other areas where we need help. Like, like you said, like employment and, yeah. you know, even transportation, Uber denials, you know, rise sure. denials and stuff like Good that. Good point. You know. Ms. Callie, thank you so much for your call. I hope you'll continue to call in. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. You're more than welcome. Ms. Allison. Yes, sir. Next we have Pam Coffee. Miss Pam Coffee. Ta-da. I'm back. <laughs> she is. Hey, Pam. Oh, yes. Okay. I'm getting on my soapbox because whether or not the white cane safety law and i'm not a lawyer so i couldn't tell you what all the law said and i never i've never had sight so i've never driven but but the the more relevant issue as i said earlier i live in an area i happen to live in an area that worships the automobile mm-hmm. i live on a street that you get up to an intersection and you need to cross and you're walking. There are no traffic signals. Now, and not only that, but the way the streets merge, it's very complicated. Uh, and the point is, one morning I was trying to go to a little curb market in a little park that is within a very easy walking distance from where I live. Mm-hmm. And I probably waited 20 minutes at least hoping that the traffic would uh, dissipate, so to speak, because we do have right on red. These cars that are zipping along, perpen- well, they're they're parallel to the way I'm walking right now, or well, would be walking before crossing the street. You don't know if they're going to turn right. And you don't, because there are no traffic signals, you have no idea what they're going to do anyway. And so the only safe thing to do is wait until there's absolutely no traffic and then hope you make it across the street before someone zips through again. So there are so many places where uh, the just the traffic flow is not even set up to be safe for pedestrians. And I've alerted people, you know, in authority that. Have I heard back from them? No, no. So as, as it happened this summer, I was never able to make it to the little, it's like a curb market that they set up one day a week in this little park. I would love to have gone over there, gotten some really nice produce. Vegetables, right. Yeah, at bargain prices, way less than what you pay Mm -hmm. at the grocery store for the stuff that's not even local. Um, I I never got over there this summer because I thought, what's the use? It's not safe. You, you're taking your life in your own hands if you try to cross the street because you don't know what those cars are going to do. There are no traffic signals. 
Now, do, do, do you feel less safe now than you did, say, five, ten years ago, Pam? Oh, absolutely. Because, because well, for one thing, cars go faster now. Uh, mm-hmm. The speed limits are higher. Drivers are not attentive. Even though texting while driving is supposed to be against the law, mm-hmm. they're either texting or they're putting on their makeup or they're uh, playing games with the kids or eating or doing whatever. No one, well, uh, some do. Some are very attentive. But a lot of people out there just are not attentive anymore. Oh, no, it is. It, it's, yep. I think it's way more dangerous now than it was certainly when I was growing up. Excellent. And yeah. hybrid cars probably make it a bit and of a hybrid, problem, too. Oh, oh, don't even get me started on that. Uh, even though, you know, I'm listening carefully, I can often, I can sometimes tell that there's a, I mean, if there isn't a lot of traffic, I can tell that a hybrid vehicle is going by. And if you, even if you can't hear it, if it's close enough, you're going to feel the air current, you know, like in its wake, so to speak. Right. Uh, But then it's about to hit you if you feel that. Uh, And we're moving to a point where we're going to get electric cars instead of, um, instead of hybrid cars. I think it is even worse because, you know, because they, they're apparently, I haven't been in one yet, but apparently they make almost no sound. Even when they're, I mean, they don't rev up like when they're um, gaining speed. Um, so it's it's getting even more dangerous now. And I, I wish I knew what the solution was. Because people are going to scream if they start making the electric cars noisier because, yep. you know, People want to want their quiet. They don't even they want like audible quiet. traffic yep. signals. They don't. Even, they don't even like audible, audible traffic signals. Now, where I live, they don't even know what audible traffic signals are. Let alone do we have them. So maybe that's something that we ought to work on some more, Miss Pam. Yeah. So, but there again, on my street, there are no traffic signals at all. Yep. Audible, Miss Pam. Not. Thank yes. you for your call. Thank you so much. Miss mm-hmm. Allison. Yes, sir. Mr. Paul, we have Lynn Corral up next. Miss Lynn. Hello, could you hear be me? Interesting. We can. Okay. Well, uh, I was going to say some of the things, but also, um, I think traffic has become much more complex. Roundabouts and all this other nonsense. And sure. Also, I, I have a lot of streets around me here in Olympia. I did go to White Cane Safety Day in Sarasota when I lived there for three years, three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have gone to some of them, but I don't. I think they're more of a publicity stunt than anything else. To be honest, I right. mean that's just my that's just my opinion. And um, I don't think they're very um, efficacious. Basically, I think that uh, you know what's. I don't see the point. I think that um, I mean I'm doing I take mobility now, and you know because I don't have a dog right now, you know, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, which I really miss. But anyway, um, so you know, I think that you know. Um, I think the traffic patterns have changed. A lot of the stuff with the the cars and the right on red, of course, I was going to mention that, of course. And I also live on a, uh, near a lot of streets, not my complex. I can walk on the complex, but but um, but on the streets that that either have you know 
no lights or so. and also I think mobility has gotten more complicated. I never had to I don't remember in the old days, okay, in the sixties, I don't remember having to tell what kind of a street it was, a T street, a this street, a four way, a two way, a blah 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 blah, <laughs> a T a T intersection. Jesus, I don't know. And 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 I said, uh, how many lanes? You can kind of tell sometimes if it's a um, a light of traffic. And then there are some streets she's gotten me to with um, you know, with with lights on them, you know, so that you can press the 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 pedestrian accessible signal and and get get across. But you know, I just think that things have gotten much more complex. Traffic patterns and the the technology. Yes, in some ways, it's you know, technology is great for us, but not with cars. They're not. You know, I think that's going to be very, very dangerous for us. And I think there are a lot of streets that are, um, I mean, even the streets that we go on are very straight. Sometimes they curve. They have, you know, they're not kept up because of part of this infrastructure stuff because they have, you know, bumps in them and stuff like that. And then you, you have to watch out for parking lots. And I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that we have to think about that most people do not. I mean, if you're a sighted person, you just go along and you don't have to worry about this stuff. When you're a blind person, you have to be attentive all the time. That's just my opinion. So, yeah. Miss Lynn, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Miss Allison. Yes, we have uh, Beth is up next. Hey, Beth. All right. Well, I go back to something I said before, and it's the way we live. It was bad enough when I was growing up. I mean, I remember. Uh, people would cut off people and you had to slam on your brakes even even then. Now it's a lot worse. There are a lot more people. And I think, again, we don't live sober, thoughtful lives. We live emotive, knee-jerk, me-first lives in our societies. And that's, I believe, the crux of the matter. Also, you'll hear sighted people all the time, sighted drivers. They'll come in and say, it's a jungle out there. It's not just pedestrians. As bad as the situation is for pedestrians, I mean, it has really worsened, you know, with with driver, quote, driver against driver, unquote. The yeah. other thing that I would like to mention is it's way over my head, but I, I'm glad I listened to it, and it would bear listening to again. I'm so glad that during the ACB convention, there were two Zoom sessions going extremely detailed into intersections and what how they're how they are today and the the absolute chaos of today in terms of types of roads and types of intersections so beth do you think that do you think that blind people are actually probably doing less traveling on their own now? I don't know. I was never one to travel on my own to start with, my choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. I keep hearing about blind people who do it now. It was the advocacy, the last advocacy podcast recently mm-hmm. about White Cane Safety Day. I was so heartened to hear something that was said by the panel. They said it is so, and they weren't, they didn't say just in these times. They, they seemed 
seemed to be talking about the, this general topic. And they said it is extremely anxiety producing and frightening to go out and, and travel on your own. And right. that's the first time that I've ever heard anyone say that except me. I've always said that, but I have, mm-hmm. I don't remember ever hearing anyone else, especially on a podcast or on a panel say that. So I really can't say if there are more. That's an interesting question. Um, I do know that at least according to the A-Lady, I think it was she got it from Go.com, and I didn't write down the exact years, but it's been in the 2000s. The rate of death has for pedestrians has gone from 12% to 16%. Yeah, I believe that. And yeah, I I do too. And as I say, I I don't remember the years, but it's it's I think it was within a span of something like mm-hmm. four years or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't surprise me. And they were just talking about pedestrians in general. I couldn't get her to say anything about. Uh, she didn't have an answer for blind pedestrians. Interesting, Miss Beth. Thank you so much for your call. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. We do have a few more hands, but when you get to me at some point, I do have some comments. Uh, you're, we're there. We, I didn't see the hands go down. Oh. Son of a gun. <laughs> you get priority in this, in this house. I can't raise my hand, but I can make noises like I just... I'll do this quickly because a lot of people have said what I've said. And I I think it's an, it was nice. The white cane law was nice years and years ago. But, but I'm not sure that it's... I think it's outlived most of its usefulness. But there are a lot of lot of factors that we've already talked about that have come into play and 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 i I want to i want to talk about the fact gee do we travel as much as we used to in just a second but i think that and i'm not talking about i guess it is pedestrians in general and blind people in particular we are as so many people are an aging population we're getting older i know my reflexes aren't what they used to be 20 years ago i can guarantee you that uh, and I used to travel everywhere, and I'd cl- cross streets. Um, and then we began to see the formation of, of de- the roundabouts and other traffic thing uh, intersections. And it got to the point where I would still travel, but what I, I'd find other ways to get there rather than crossing a lot of streets because I did not really want to put myself in harm's way uh, because I saw what was happening to so- even a lot of my friends and other blind people as well. Right. They were not successful when they were crossing streets, and they were doing some of the same things that they were taught by an O&M instructors, but in many cases because of traffic, because of people, because of others who weren't watching. Th- those results didn't happen the way they should have. Uh, so I, I'll take Uber. I'll take Lyft. I'll, get, I'll find people to help me get places if I need to, but mostly it's Uber and Lyft to the point where I don't necessarily – cross as many streets especially dangerous streets now I, that maybe didn't used to be 20 years ago uh, and, and i wonder go ahead. i wonder if paratransit has has had an impact larry i i think it has um i'm not sure that they knowingly did this i think you know we're just fortunate that that there are a lot more games in town in terms of getting you from point mm-hmm. A to point B, like like Lyft, like Uber, and a lot of other companies that we don't right. even talk about that are smaller. I think that's a good point. So, 
do you have a suggestion in terms of what we ought uh, of what we ought to replace kind of white and safety discussion with? I I'd like to talk about just overall safety as it relates mm-hmm. to intersections and crossing. But I don't know. I, I don't know what how or if it would gain us anything. I mean, you know, I, it's advocacy, yeah, yeah, but I don't know how that could come about. Unless you know, one of the questions, one of the questions that I keep asking is, is, is there a lot of us who worked, say, twenty, thirty years ago, to get new things to happen, like accessible pedestrian signals, like, um, like uh, markings at street corners, so we knew exactly where the crosswalk were, sure. was, is, um, those kinds of things, and then, I guess one of the things that that it appears to be the case is that is that the number of people who are making use of these things is actually falling every year and i think it's going to be harder and harder to persuade the public in quotation marks that it's appropriate for them to do stuff if they're seeing no evidence whatsoever agreed um that folks that folks are actually making use of this stuff and we we do things like white cane safety day every year with with a bunch of implicit assumptions about what blind people are are doing, which I don't think may hold up. I agree. I don't think it's happening anymore to to the degree it was ten to twenty years ago. Yeah. So something has to change, and I'm not sure in today's society, unless you have a lot of advocacy that is specific mm-hmm. towards points that you're going to see much change. Mm-hmm. You know, and we work towards the com- we work towards the common denominator of right. or the the best. Con- you have to do that. Even in business, they do that. You sure, know, you know, you have to do that. And if the powers that be don't see reactions, then they're going to say, "Okay, we got to work with what works best for us." Yep, Mr. Larry, thank you so much, sir. You're welcome, Miss Allison. Okay, next up is Terry Pacheco. Ta-da. This should be interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to touch that. <laughs> no, but we can still laugh. And yeah, that's true, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that there are there are f- probably a lot fewer people because people have become so. I'm not sure if it's if it's. I think it's a combination of fearful and. Paratransit has, in so many ways, become the norm, for the lack of a better term. People just expect that you that we all use paratransit now, um, and I, I just don't think that that's. I think paratransit's a pretty awful thing. It's to me, it's a last resort. Um, and it's beyond but, last resort, but, even in many yeah, cases. Yeah, but but the fact is, but the fact is that Lyft, Lyft, and Uber are definitely not that, and and they certainly constitute options that didn't exist, say five, ten years ago. That's right. I I completely agree with you, and 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 but they are options, and they are options that you know hopefully lots uh, of folks people are, using are uh, uh, yeah. people are using them, and mm-hmm. people are in a position to do it. It's a lot. It is more expensive than your local paratransit. It is. Um, but if you're in a position to do it, I just can't see yep. opting, opting for paratransit over it. So um, 
are, are we sending bad messages by continuing we to se- celebrate we, White Cane Safety Day? What we are doing is we are sending some terrible messages, not so much by by <clears throat> making it a, making people aware of White Cane Safety Day. It's how we are doing it. I think that these uh, when a group gets together and creates an unrealistic situation to demonstrate White Cage Safety Day, that's a big disservice to ourselves. And what I mean by that is taking the local police chief and putting a blindfold on him and even have a, an O&M instructor or somebody walk beside him or talk to him for five minutes on how to use a cane to get across an intersection is a huge disservice. It's just like I think um, those, remember when everybody got into those dining in the dark yeah. events, fundraisers? That's a disservice because we are, not, we are not the people, what those people are experiencing is not what we are experiencing. Right. And I don't think we've managed to kill off a chief of police yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we haven't. But he's always known he gets to take this thing off, and he's got those, <laughs> and he's got those fears in the back of his head as that's he's right. doing it. And that's, that's right. It, it's just unrealistic. It is. I really do think so. I think what where we are wrong, where what we need to do at this point in time. And I think ACB needs to get back into it more than it is. Um, AC, you know, yes, they're redoing the uh, uh, book. They're the, you know, the um, I can't say it. It's gone out of my <laughs> head. Traffic regulations. Yes, going. thank yeah. you. Uh-huh. <laughs> thank you. They're redoing that. But what we need to be doing, and we need to be doing it as affiliates, as individuals, mm-hmm. As special interests or state affiliates, we need to be doing it on a national level in the national office, should be back on it again in a much stronger way than they are right now. Yep. Well, you, you can't tell people to get up and get moving and be sending them out into something that's not safe. I think, we're, I think we've put the cart ahead of the horse on that issue in yeah. general. Um, yep. I'm probably just made a few enemies around here (laughs) with that statement but um the fact is that we should not be going out making a big display on october 15th of every year and then putting that out as this is how we feel i'll give you an example what i think is wrong Mm -hmm. if you look at the the acb um facebook page the picture that they use at the top of it is, I think it's from one of the walks that we do in the summer, usually, mm-hmm. the Brenda Dillon walk. It's right. a picture of 50 or more blind people with canes walking down a corridor on the left side of the corridor. <laughs> gotcha. When does anybody run into that in real life? It doesn't. Uh, that is not real life. It, That's it, not, you know, as not. somebody else said earlier, she does never remember even seeing a person with a cane when she was out driving. Yep. You know, that is not realistic. We need to be doing realistic. We need to be doing things like the local police stations, the local police departments, the uh, motor vehicles. We need to be working with the elderly. The elderly have just as much of a problem with this as we do. We need yep. to be working with those groups individually, locally. 
And I think keeping at least keeping the white cane law is better than not having one. Uh, you know, if if we didn't if we didn't have anything, we've seen some absolutely horrible, yeah. horrible experiences in the past. I live three blocks. I used to live on the same block at, unknowingly at the time from where a man, a woman and her guide dog were instantly killed on the street yes. back in the 80s. Yeah. When the Evensons and- were killed. And I know we who know, you were talking about, right? Yeah, that's it. When when the Evensons were killed on a rainy night, you know what that kid got because it was because they were not at a, at a crosswalk, which was two three blocks away in the rain at nine o'clock at night. That kid got a, a fine of forty dollars for killing those two people and the dog. And that's yep. not right. And that's why we we need to have something in place. Doing away with it, I think, is wrong. But I think it's it's at least something. Is it good? No, it's not great. But it's something that we can work from, and we need to be doing a lot more work on it. And paratransit is fine, but it, it it's it's not the end all for everyone. Yep, Miss Miss Terry, thank you so much, you guys. <laughs> I probably am not going to be able to take any more calls, so let me try to summarize. I think we haven't heard a lot of people, and it may be because we haven't had enough time who are jumping up and down in favor of white cane safety stuff. Um, and I think what that means is that we at least as ACB ought to seriously consider whether we're getting enough bang for our buck out of either the laws uh, or the celebrations every year. Who is the celebration benefiting? Is it benefiting people who are blind? Or is it in fact often benefiting agencies that work for people who are blind and who use it as as a way of raising funds and getting publicity? I don't think we know the answer, but I think we ought to be looking. I don't know of a lot of situations uh, where folks who are are clearly at fault in terms of accidents um, have gotten uh, any serious problems. So if we're going to keep white cane laws, maybe one of the things that we need to seriously consider is whether we should be working in every state where there are white cane laws. And let's be clear that white cane laws are state laws, um, that we ought to be working in every state where there are these laws in order to try to create penalties that actually make it important for people to recognize and value the fact that protecting the rights of pedestrians who are blind to walk safely on the streets is something that's worth something. It's, it's not, it's, it's not okay for that to be a simple misdemeanor where, where all that an individual can ever get is a slap on the wrist because that's all that the law allows. Um, that, that frankly is insulting to blind people and it's insulting to the notion that you're trying to protect people who are blind and, and to make it safe for them to be fully included in the communities in which they live. So it is my hope that that's one of the things that ACB will consider as we move forward. How can we change our focus so that what we end up getting out of White Cane Safety Day every year is worth having and moves us further ahead? Because at the moment, I think all that we manage to do is persuade people that there are loads of blind people around, whether they, whether they can walk very well or not. Next week on Tuesday Topics, we're hoping to do a program on ACB Media. And it's my intention 
to try to get the, the, the current leaders of ACB Media to tell us what they're doing at the moment and what they plan to do uh, over uh, the next uh, little while. So on behalf of everyone involved with Tuesday Topics, it's been great to be back. I'd like to thank everyone for being here. And remember, it is only when you're out and about using a white cane that white canes matter at all. Good night.